Hey everybody, this is Brent Kellogg, the pastor of Hillspring Church in Sand Springs, Oklahoma. And this is our podcast. Thanks for taking time to join us today. Our prayer is that this would inspire you, build your faith, and help you take the next step in Christ. Enjoy the message. Hey, remember this time last week I asked, uh, hey, let's just as a church pray for rain. You know what, on Monday, it rained. Amen, everybody? It's been a beautiful week. I should have had you pray for OSU football. You know what I'm saying? Hey, we have been doing kind of a Bible study through the book of Daniel today. We're going to wrap up really the first half of the book because the book's written really in two different sections. The, the first half, which includes the chapters that we've been through so far, um, kind of the story of Daniel's life and the history and, and the good things that he went through and some of the tense moments that he went through. And today really is kind of the last component in the first half, really, which is the historical part. And then next week we'll jump into because he's going to deal with some eschatology. You may not know what that means, but it's just like the end times. And he's going to deal with things that would happen in the future. Some of them have happened. Some of them we think are still to happen at the end of days. Today's story is probably the most famous out of the book of Daniel. And the title of this sermon is Paws and Jaws because it's where Daniel gets thrown into the lion's den. And you're going to see a lot of similarities to this story and what Daniel's companions, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, what they went through just a few weeks ago when, when they stood strong and, and they stood for their God and they were men of faith trying to do the right thing in a broken culture around them in the Babylonian culture and they faced that fiery furnace. And I want to jump right in today. Daniel chapter 6 is where we're at. And, and for the first eight verses or so, I'm going to read a little bit and pause, stop, unpack and explain. And there's just something in me that I want to answer questions that you don't even know you have. Like when I kind of geek out and I get into just studying commentaries and Googling all these different things, and, and when, I, when I run into something that's a little bit interesting, I just pretend that, that maybe there's something in here today that strikes you and you want to go study it out for yourself and if you were to just Google King Darius, what we'll deal with today, and, and you run into some things that, that people start to ask questions about or maybe present in a different light, I, again, I want to answer questions you don't even know that are questions. And so for the first few minutes, if you will, <clears throat> I'm probably going to be a little too historical and, and just kind of let you know there's some people that kind of question some of this. There's some people because of this event don't really believe that Daniel's a legitimate book, that more it's kind of symbolic. And so I just... I want to take the time, slow down just a little bit. So for the first few verses here, I'm going to read a little bit and stop. So a lot's happened. Daniel is almost 80 years. He's actually probably in his mid-80s when he gets thrown in the lion's den. And 80's pretty young, isn't it, Pastor Joe? Just amen right there. Yeah, no, okay, sorry. Um, so for 60 years, it's 60 years earlier, King Nebuchadnezzar, who was the Babylonian king, he had this dream. And this was that dream where he brought all of his wise men in and, and he said, hey, I, I, need you to, I need you to tell me what I dreamed and then tell me what it means. And they're like, well, no, no, no. If you'll just tell us the dream, we'll translate it for you. And he's like, nope, not playing that. I need you to tell me what I dreamed and then I need you to, to tell me what it means. If you don't, I'm gonna, I'm gonna kill all of you. And that's when Daniel kind of gets involved and, and God uses Daniel to kind of save the day. Go ahead and put that image up on the screen because this is what he dreamed. He dreamed about this statue and the, the head of gold which was the Babylonian Empire. 
okay? And, and Daniel goes, you, O King Nebuchadnezzar, you are the head of gold. And then if you were here, and you remember we talked about it, you have the two arms and the chest of silver. And we talked about there would be two armies that would come together to really knock off Babylonian as the world superpower. It would be the Medes or the Median Empire and the Persian Empire, and they would join forces. Join forces. Neither one was big enough alone, so they had to combine their efforts. And then you see the Greek Empire would come along, the Roman Empire, and then what we believe is to be the modern East and Western nations and civilizations of today. So 60 years prior to Daniel and this lion's den encounter, King Nebuchadnezzar had this dream. Well, this dream, now the second part of this has come to pass. Now the two arms, the Medes and the Persians, have come together as we ended last week with Daniel chapter 5. The Babylonian Empire is no longer a thing. They were, they were defeated, and we talked about the handwriting on the wall and, and so on and so forth. So there was this alliance between the Medes and the Persians to take care of the Babylonians. So in chapter 6, like when we turn that page and we start reading in chapter 6, the Babylonian Empire is no more. It's now the Medo-Persian Empire, and so that's where we're going to start. Let's take a look at Daniel chapter 6, verse 1. And if you're awake, say, all right. Here we go, verse 1. It says, Darius... The Mede, I'm going to camp out on him just a little bit because history questions his existence. Darius the Mede decided to divide the kingdom into 120 provinces and he appointed a high officer to rule over each province. With just a little bit of Google search, okay, you will discover we're not exactly sure who Darius the Mede is. Now there is a King Darius in the Bible that Ezra in Nehemiah talk about. And Ezra and Nehemiah are, from our perspective, they're in the same time frame with Daniel. Like that was all part of that exile period. Remember when the Babylonians came through and they defeated a nation? They would exile them. They would move them. Like, I'm going to move you over here and move you over there and move you over here. Just, just really as a second statement of how defeated you were, I have the power to make you move. They didn't, it was to prevent rebellion. And so Ezra and Nehemiah were, were part of that exile period. They were actually, when the Persians allowed the Jews to go back and rebuild Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. And there is a King Darius that's mentioned in Ezra and Nehemiah, but he's almost 100 years later. Like when you zoom in, I know it's a contemporary, but when you zoom in, it's really not the King Darius that's found here in the book of Daniel. Okay, so my curious mind wants to know, well, well who was King Darius? Because most historians have no record of him. They don't, they don't mention him. History tells us that fateful night with the handwriting on the wall when the Babylonian Empire crumbled, history tells us it was Cyrus the Great that actually was the one that marched on Babylon. So a couple of things to consider. The word Darius actually means leader. He means Lord, okay? So he could have been a general in the Medo-Persian army that Cyrus the Great said, hey, I'm gonna put you here over Babylon. That's why we don't necessarily have record of his name. That, that's quite possible. But I want to show you a couple of places where history points at a King Darius. One of them comes from Greek history, okay? There was a Greek historian by the name of Xenophon, and he explains that the way words get translated and the way people get renamed. If you remember, Daniel had another name, Belshazzar, and his street name was Chazzy, right? He had a different name, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They had Jewish names, 
But because of the Babylonian culture, they tried to change their identity. In doing so, they changed their names. And so it was very common for people to have names that were actually changed. And what the Greek historian Xenophon says, he believes that King Darius was actually the Mede king Syaxers. Okay, actually Syaxers II. Now, back up just a little bit. If you recall from King Nebuchadnezzar's dream, the statue that had the two arms, the chest of silver, the Medes and the Persians form an alliance. Okay, and what Xenophon believes is that Syaxers II, he believed that was actually Darius, that he was the Median king that actually formed the alliance with the Persians. And Cyrus the Great would actually marry his sister in a political attempt to strengthen that alliance, meaning Cyrus and Cyaxus II were actually co-regents. It's mean they were ruling the Medo-Persian Empire together, and that, that can get messy pretty quick, okay? So they were co-regents. Two years after, you guys still with me? I've lost a third of you. It's fine. I'm going to pick back up in just a second. All right. Two years after the fall of Babylon, Cyaxers II actually dies. And King Cyrus will use, or Cyrus the Great will use that, his death, he's not going to let somebody replace him. Cyrus the Great will use that as his power grab to now it becomes no longer the Medo-Persian Empire. It just becomes the Persian Empire. That's why when, a couple of weeks ago when I brought this up and I was talking about the Medo-Persian, you're like, I, I don't, okay, I kind of remember that, but I just remember the Persians. I just remember the, the Persians. And that's why, because Cyrus the Great, as, he, as his co-regent died, he did not replace him. Cyrus the Great just said, okay, well, I'm by myself. I'm gonna rule the entire Medo-Persian Empire, and I'm just gonna call it the Persian Empire. So a few weeks ago, we talked about um, King Nebuchadnezzar and how he loved to build. And it was very common that when, when a king or an empire had a success, like they won a big battle, or the empire was successful, they would build buildings, they would build statues, they would build monuments. But then when a new guy came along, he would tear those monuments down because he wanted his legacy to be greater. And if you remember, King Nebuchadnezzar said, I know what you guys do. So he literally made this stamp that said, King Nebuchadnezzar is the son of so-and-so, and I'm the king of Babylon, and yada, yada, yada. And literally in thousands of bricks that they used to construct the walls of Babylon, the buildings of Babylon, those bricks had this stamp. You can still see those stamps today. Just Google it. There's, there's still hundreds of those bricks around in museums, specifically in the Middle East. A lot of them made their way to Europe. Okay, So Nebuchadnezzar was saying, I'm not going to let you destroy my legacy. I'm going to stamp just almost every other brick is going to carry my name. Most likely when Cyrus the Great came to power, he did everything he could to erase the memory or the legacy of his, what was once, his co-regent, Syraxus II, okay? And any record of him that might have been the Mede king, Darius, all right? Babylonian historian, a guy by the name Boersus, okay? He believed that Darius was also Syraxus II. And then... There was one more Greek, and he wasn't a historian. He was actually a Greek writer. He was a Greek dramatist. And I just gave you a new term to use for your teenager, a dramatist. You know what I'm saying? Right? Okay, he would write plays. His name was Asculius, 
And he described that there were two Median kings before Cyrus the Great ever became the guy. Now, he doesn't mention them. He only mentions the reference that there were two Median kings before Cyrus the Great became the total emperor. He doesn't name them. So if you go Google Darius the Mede, history's gonna say, well, he's made up. Like he wasn't even real, so we don't even know that the book of Daniel is real. And I just don't think that's true. I think there's enough historical evidence. You have four historians that point at, well, hey, it's very common for those guys to change their names. And so King Darius, most likely, I believe, is Syraxus II, okay? So um, verse two, the king also chose Daniel and two others as administrators to supervise the high officers and protect the king's interest, okay? Catch that. He chose Daniel and two others to supervise all the high-ranking Officials. Daniel soon proved himself to be more capable than all the other administrators and high officials. Official officers. Words are hard this morning. Because of Daniel's great ability, the king made plans to place him over the entire empire. Again, we see the hand of God on Daniel. He is now going to serve his third king over two completely separate and different empires. Okay? Because God's hand was on him. Again, he's in his 80s. All right? Um, verse 2 makes special note that Daniel is the administrator of the administrators. He was over all of the high officers. Like, he was in charge of all of the high officials. All right? So, verse 4. Then the other administrators and high officers began searching for some fault in the way they could ha- that Daniel was handling the government affairs. They couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn. He was faithful, always responsible, and completely trustworthy. Imagine that. A politician, I'm sorry. Okay. Politics hadn't changed over 3,000 years. There are some people who are jealous. They set out to discredit him. They set out to destroy him. Okay, Here's a guy now that has served three different kings, and most likely... Daniel's on up there in age, okay? So they're jealous, and they can't find anything where he fudges the numbers, cheats, gives his buddy a buddy deal, nothing. And so the only area where they might be able to come at him is in how he worships and how he loves and celebrates his God. Verse five, so they concluded, this is all the other officials, right? Our only chance of finding grounds for accusing Daniel will be in connection with the rules of his religion, This guy is so faithful to God that he'll even do it to a fault. So we need to make it illegal to be godly. That's the only thing we can find is if we'll use his strength against him so they devise a plan, verse six. So the administrators and the high officers went to the king and said, long live King Darius. We are all in agreement. We administrators, officials, high officers, advisors, and governors that the king should make a law that will strictly be enforced. Give orders that for the next 30 days, any person who prays to anyone divine or human, except to you, your majesty, will be thrown into the den of the lions. Verse seven in the older translation says this. It says, all the governors of the kingdom, all the administrators and satraps and counselors and advisors had consulted together. That's what they said to the king. King, all of us. And what we discover is that all is just not true. It's a lie. 
Remember in verse two, it said that Daniel was put over all of them. Daniel was their administrator. He was the guy that was in charge of all that. So when they come in and say, hey, we all, they lie him. And this lie is actually going to catch up with them in the end. They play to the king's ego. It's very common in Middle Eastern ancient cultures for the kings to establish themselves like a god. You've seen this a lot in what we know about Egyptian history. I mean, they did a really good job of recording that. And of course, they built their big pyramids and those were to be tombs where their emperors who were thought to be like gods. The same holds true here. The Middle Eastern kings, they tried to equate themselves as a god. And we'll talk more about that in just a second. And so what these scoundrels are doing is they're playing on the king's ego. They're playing on the culture around them that if you're the king, then, then, then it's pretty common, king, for you to think you're a god. Okay, and they come at Daniel's weakness, his faithfulness and his devotion to God. The king's like, all right, sounds like a plan. Everybody needs to treat me like a God for 30 days. Don't pray to anything else, but just pray to me. No, no praying to any other God, verse eight. And now your majesty, if you'll just issue, it's so convenient, we have this already written up. We got a pen. If you'll just sign this right here, you know, this law, it can't be changed, an official law of the Medes and Persians that cannot be revoked. So King Darius, all right, he signed the law. When a Persian king signed a law, it could not be revoked. Because if a king considered himself to be a god, a god would not make a mistake. So if a king god would make a law, there's no way there's a mistake in that, so it cannot be revoked. And these scoundrels think they are so smart to get this king to make this law that they can use against Daniel. All right, everybody with me? You guys okay over here? What are we doing? Like, I mean, this side's awake. Maybe I didn't. All right, verse 10. But when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home, knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with his windows open towards Jerusalem. He prayed three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to his God. We, we have a hard time praying even when it's not against the law. And here, Daniel, it's, it's literally against the law and he still is gonna go home three times a day and be faithful and pray and give thanks to God. Verse 11, then the officials went together to Daniel's house and found him praying and asking for God's help. So they went straight to the king. Mm, we're gonna tell on you. And they reminded him about his law. King, did you not sign a law that for the next 30 days, any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except to you, your majesty, will be thrown into the lion's den? Yeah, that's right. That decision stands. It's an official law, the Medes and the Persians. It cannot be revoked. Then they told the king, well, that man, Daniel, one of the captives from Judah, he's ignoring you and your law. He still prays to his God three times a day. Hearing this, the king was deeply troubled and he tried to think of a way to save Daniel. He spent the rest of the day looking for a way to get Daniel out of his predicament. Like, as I read this story, I, you know, first of all, he's like, he's like mad because he realizes all were lying and they kind of played him for a fool. And so I don't know if you remember this guy or not. Those of us that are a little more mature in age, put that next slide up on the screen. Anybody remember that? Cook, where's my lunch? Where's my dinner? So kids, it's crazy. Back in the day, the only time that cartoons came on was on Saturday morning. It was crazy. Like Cartoon Network wasn't even a thing. Like there was two, six, eight, 11, and 47, and 41, and that was it. You know what I'm saying? 
And there was this character named Bugs Bunny, and this was, it, just go YouTube it, it's hilarious. And so this king just like loses his stuff. Where's my lunch? I think of King Darius like this. All right, take that off the screen. I'm, I'm done. Verse 15. In the evening, the men went together to the king and said, your majesty, you know that according to the laws of the Medes and the Persians, no law that a king signed can be changed. Remember, like nobody can pray to anything but you because you're a king God and a king wouldn't make a mistake. And so if a king God made a law, it can't be changed. Verse 16. So at last, like he spent all day trying to get the attorneys involved and take it to the Supreme Court. There was no Supreme Court. And at last, the king gave the orders for Daniel to be arrested and thrown in the lion's den. And then the king said to Daniel, may your God whom you serve so faithfully, may he rescue you. Uh, King, time. Remember, you're the God king and you made the law, you signed it. And as a God king, you wouldn't make a mistake. And so now Daniel, who typically is pretty faultless, um, he has broke your unchangeable law. So it's time, your majesty. And the king's like, okay. So verse 17. And I want you to pay close attention to the first few words here. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. We'll talk about that. Then the king sealed the stone with his own royal seals and the seals of his nobles so that no one could rescue Daniel. Then the king returned to his palace and he spent his night, spent the night fasting. He refused his usual entertainment, couldn't sleep at all that night. Verse 19, early the next morning, the king got up, hurried out to the lion's den. When he got there, he called out in anguish. Daniel, servant of the living God, notice the change of his tone. Was your God, whom you faithfully, who you serve so faithfully, was he able to rescue you from the lions? Long live the king. <laughs> Notice he addressed Daniel after that long sleepless night of fasting, knowing he'd been lied to and he'd been played by his visors. He'd been made out to be a fool. Daniel, servant of the living God, I'm not a God king, I'm just a man. And actually, apparently, I'm, I'm pretty dumb because they trick me pretty easy. I let my ego get the best of me. But Daniel, you serve a living God. Are you alive? Long live the king. Like, that was probably the sweetest words King Darius had heard in a long, long time because they were coming from the living, breathing man probably the only man he trusted. And everyone around him proved they could not be trusted. Everyone else proved the king to be a fool. Daniel says, long live the king. Verse 22, it's still Daniel talking. My God sent his angel to shut the lion's mouth so they would not hurt me for I've been found innocent in his sight. I've not wronged you, your majesty. I didn't do this to hurt you. I, I'm just trying to be faithful to my God. I, I didn't mean any disrespect to you, O king. Verse 23, the king was overjoyed and ordered that Daniel be lifted from the den. Not a scratch was found on him for he had trusted in his God. Everybody ought to say amen. Three weeks ago, we talked about Daniel's friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and how they were thrown into the fiery furnace. And there were three scenarios that came from that. And in the first one of those scenarios is that they could be saved from the trial. Remember, 
in, in, like they didn't even have to go through it, that, that maybe King Nebuchadnezzar would change his mind or maybe something would happen. There are hundreds of trials in our lives that we have been delivered from. And I think a lot of them we don't even know about. Like God's hand, God's protection closed the mouth of a lion and maybe we didn't even know there was a lion there. There were times where God just protected us and we weren't even aware. So like I can't even be grateful because I didn't even know there was a fiery furnace that he was protecting me from. We love this scenario, but many times we don't appreciate this scenario because we may not even be aware of the trial because God protected us from a trial we couldn't even see coming. If that makes sense, say amen. So several weeks ago, Jerry and I were over in Stillwater. We were going to see Landon. He lives on Monroe at Farmhouse right there. And we were coming from the south. And, and actually, I was, I was on the street that turned onto Monroe and I was, I was sitting at the stoplight and the car in front of me, there was a car in front of me. We were in a turn lane and so we're waiting for the green arrow and then there was me and we're sitting there and, and of course, the good driver that I am, I'm watching the stoplights but the car in front of me, I don't wanna make any accusations, but must have been playing on their phone, right? Because this has never happened to any of you, but the light turns green and then they just sit there. As a Christian, with a Hillsprings church sticker on your car, what do you do? Do you honk? Do you give the little polite honk? Do you lay down on it? You know, like I just gave him the little toot toot. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't, I don't, don't get mad at me. I mean, it's just a light. I don't know what to do, you know? And so we're sitting there, and literally for half the light cycle, they don't go. Finally, just a doot, and they go. And as I'm going through, the light changes red, okay? So like two of us got through. <laughs> Suckers behind us didn't make it. We're driving down Monroe, and, and it's kind of the main thoroughfare. And so the cross streets have to stop. their stop signs. And as we're approaching farmhouse and we're approaching that street right there, I just happened to catch out of the glimpse of my eye, there is a car and he's clipping it. And he's at least on these little city streets. And I mean, it's just busy, students everywhere and so on and so forth. And he's popping at least 50, 55 miles an hour. And I realize he ain't gonna stop. So I'm able to slow my brakes and boom, he's able to fly right in front of us. And Jerry and I just like went, and then it dawned on me. Had I been at least two more seconds ahead, it would have been in a perfect spot for a prime T-bone. And Jerry and I wouldn't have spent that day with our son, we'd have spent the day in the hospital because he was flying. That's, that, that's a time where God protected me from a trial and I didn't even realize it in the moment. You just kind of chalk it up for coincidence, but it's maybe that the Lord caused that person to slow that light so that at the right time, Jerry and I would go through so that we wouldn't be T-boned by the right person. There are hundreds of those stories in our lives that maybe we're not even aware of because God protects us from the trial, Amen. And we're grateful for those because we don't like fires and we don't like lions. We love these because these are the least painful scenarios in our life. The second scenario was that he would walk Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego through the trial. And that's what happened to them. They had to go through the fire. It burned off the ropes. There was another in the fire standing next to them. But sometimes God says, listen, I'm not gonna deliver you from this. I'm gonna walk you through this. And what it does in our faith is it just proves in our faith that God is faithful to us, amen? And so there were the three amigos, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They went through that together. Daniel is in this lion's den solo. He's all by himself. There ain't no other amigo. It's not like, hey, you take that line, I'll take this one and we'll take it on. You know, like it's him by himself. And God walked him through 
this trial. The third scenario is that God uses that trial to deliver us into the arms of Jesus. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they said, oh, King Nebuchadnezzar, even if our God doesn't deliver us, we ain't gonna bow down to your image. Sometimes these trials get the better of us in this life. But if we really, really, really knew what awaited us, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more cancer, no more sickness, no more disease, no more grief, no more president election cycles. Daniel had been through some tough moments, thought he was gonna die. Unless you can tell King Nebuchadnezzar what the dream is and what it means, you're gonna die. Fiery furnace, now he's all alone by himself in this, in this pit with lions. We talk about the opportunities of the trial this morning. Like somebody will go, oh, we got a problem. No, 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 it's not a problem. It's just an opportunity. It's an opportunity to look at something differently. It's an opportunity for God to walk us through this. It's, it's, it's not a problem. It's, it's, an, it's an opportunity. We know the stress, the fear, the worry. We don't like lions, tigers, and bears. Oh, my. We don't like fiery furnaces, okay? But the truth be told, what we're gonna see here, there's a lot of opportunity to come from Daniel's lion's den, okay? Verse 22, it said, this is Daniel talking. He said, my God sent his angel to shut the lion's mouths so that they could not hurt me. In Daniel's pit, he had the opportunity to see the angel. Like, I don't know about you, but like, I don't just see another in the fire every day. Like, there's just, like, I, like in my life, I've not ever seen one of those divine angelic beings. I have a sister-in-law named Angel, and she thinks she's divine angelic, but that's a whole nother story in a counseling session later. Hey, girl. Um, probably could use the term experience, okay? Because we're not 100% sure that he saw the angel. He will see angels in chapters to come. As we get into this eschatology stuff, you, you, he's going to have encounters with angels, so it's very possible that right here he literally saw this angelic being where God delivered him through the lion's den. But I don't I, he would have never experienced firsthand the protection of God if he hadn't have been in the den in the first place. If God would have just changed the king's heart, oh, well, I know I can't change the law, but I'm the king, I'm gonna do what I want to. Give me a pen. Then Daniel would have never experienced firsthand the angel shutting the mouth of the lions. If God prevented the disaster before he ever knew, then we wouldn't recognize God's deliverance in the moment. If King Darius just changed his mind, and Daniel wouldn't have known the protection and deliverance of God. In this case, God used an angel to protect him. So he experienced, he saw, it's an opportunity to see the angel. Okay, secondly, look at verse 25. Then King Darius sent this message to the people of every race and nation and language throughout the world. Peace and prosperity to you. I decree that everyone throughout my kingdom should tremble with fear, before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and he will endure forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed. His rule will never end. He rescues and saves his people. He performs miraculous signs and wonders in the heavens and on earth, and he rescues Daniel from the power of the lions. Daniel had the opportunity to see the angel, but Daniel also had the opportunity to see a miracle. Even Darius saw the miracle. Even the dimwits that caused this problem, they saw the miracle. And in this passage I just read, King Darius is bragging on Daniel's God. 
He declares Jehovah is the God of miracles. He's the God of signs and wonders. Because of Daniel's misfortune, it was an opportunity for many to see the miraculous working God. The only time we need miracles is when we can't fix it. When nothing else will fix it. If we can fix it, we don't need a miracle. Money can't fix it, doctor can't fix it, daddy can't fix it. A miracle is the only thing that can fix it. That is when God shows up. And Daniel, Darius, and the dimwits that caused this, they got to experience the hand of God firsthand. The might, the miraculous miracle of God. We want to experience God. Oh, God, we don't want to go through a trial to experience you. We just want to see your hand, God. We want you to bring favor, Lord. Make us wealthy. You know, bless our kids. Make them behave. Give us the good stuff. We don't want to face the lion to see the hand of God. I don't want to feel the heat of the fire. But sometimes to see the hand of God, we have to walk through the valley in the shadow of death. We have to face circumstances where there can be absolutely no doubt it was God. Can't be written off as a coincidence. There's no way that it was God and the miracle working hand of our mighty Savior. Amen, everybody? And put verse 25 back up again. I'm gonna show you something. King Darius sent this message to the people of every race, nation, and language throughout the known world, throughout his kingdom. All right? Peace and prosperity to you. He said, I decree, I make a new law. I decree that everyone throughout my kingdom should tremble with fear. Before him? Nope. Before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and he will endure forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed. His rule will never end. He rescues and saves his people. He performs miraculous signs and wonders in the heavens and on earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of life. You had the opportunity to see the angel. You had the opportunity to see a miracle. But he also had an opportunity to share the message about who God was. King Darius says, I got a new law. I know I got tricked and they made that law where everybody needs to pray to me because I'm a God king, but no, 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 no. I decree that everyone throughout my kingdom, it was an opportunity to share the message about God. These jokers lied to me. They used my ego against me, almost cost me the one advisor that I can trust. And now I got a new law. I decree that you tremble and fear Jehovah, Daniel's God, who is the real, the true, and the living God. Here's what I want you to see out of this. How I walk through my trials may lead to someone else's testimony. How you walk through your story may lead to someone else's salvation. How you face adversity may give birth to someone else's faith. Man, that guy just came out of a lion's den unscratched. I think I need to serve his God. Man, that girl just went through a fiery furnace. There was another in the fire getting her through the, I think I want that person in my life. They just came out of a crazy, crazy season. I would have lost my mind. They had their sanity. How you face your trials could birth someone else's faith. Your story could lead to someone else's salvation. Just like this. Verse 24. Revenge is mine, thus saith the Lord. Oh, 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 oh. Then the king gave orders to arrest the men who had maliciously accused 
Daniel. King, all of us advisors, all of us. Yeah, not all. Now they all. <laughs> he had them thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and their children. They did that so that there wouldn't be rebellion, that there'd be somebody grow up and, and get into a place of influence and just kind of like they made sure wives, the kids, if there were grandkids involved, they, they just made sure that they erased any chance of there being a potential rebellion someday. And the lions, catch this, the lions leaped on them, tore them apart before they ever hit the floor of the den. They just pulled Daniel out and now they're throwing these jokers in. And it wasn't that the kittens weren't hungry. It's not like, oh no, we've had enough kitty chow. We're fine. We've had enough meow mix. I don't, I don't need to eat that one. No, 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 no. They were hungry, all right. It's not that the lions weren't hungry. It's that God was faithful to protect Daniel. They lied. They manipulated. They played the king for a fool. They found themselves brunt. Literally, when they threw them in, it shows you how hungry the lions were. Hey, it was no coincidence that Daniel survived the night because they were really, really, really hungry lions. It was that God sent his angel. God protected him. I'll show you one more thing. Catch this. I've never seen this before. In first service, I even heard a, wow. An innocent man was sent to his death because of jealousy of those who wanted to prevent his exaltation. His enemies plotted against him and a stone was rolled over his would-be tomb. On the morning his stone was rolled away, he came out victorious. What a beautiful parallel between Daniel and Jesus. Amen, everybody? Listen, we don't have problems. We have opportunities. We have opportunity to see the angel, have the opportunity to see the miracle, have an opportunity to share the message. You glad you came to church today? Got a I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If you did, there's a couple of things I want to invite you to do. First, hit the subscribe button. That way, you won't miss a single episode. Secondly, if this message has impacted you and you would like to help us reach others, visit our website at hillspring.tv and hit the Give Now button so that we can take this message around the world. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.